Hi, everybody. David Knorr back with another episode of our Intelligent Growth with my business partner, Jen Cords. Hello, Jen. Hi, David. Great to be here. It's good to have you for our audience. Uh, we're excited to continue the series. And in this session, we're going to talk about something that uh, we're constantly polling our relationships, our customers, our audience, our podcast listeners. And if you look at uh, a, a topic that consistently ranks very high is around data. And in essence, data, and there's been a lot written and talked about it, and uh, but really data maturity. And how do you build a data-driven culture, a data-driven decision-making, problem-solving, communication culture? Uh, now, Jen's been in this world a lot longer I have in terms of creating dashboards and reports and that what I have seen is really the enterprise value that comes from a data-driven culture. And one of the things we're going to talk a lot about, it is unequivocally driven from the top. If the CEO, if the senior leadership team, if the BU, you know, PL leaders, down to not just the executive ranks, but the managers, don't, you've heard the old adage, inspect what you expect. And... Uh, you know, prioritize things that are important to you. If data and insights, more importantly, we'll talk about it, from that data isn't critical to your success, if you don't promote it, if you don't reinforce it, uh, this this idea of we're a data-driven culture is just never going to materialize. Jen, your thoughts? I would completely agree. And a lot of organizations come to want to be data-driven, sort of after the fact when they've had a lot of those pain points doing it all manually or the team's grown or maybe they have new board expectations and there's someone on the board asking questions that weren't being asked before. And at that point, if it's not pulled apart of your culture, it can be kind of a painful shift initially to get to a data-driven culture. And and uh, I recently returned from Sastra. And for audience, if you may not know what that is, I, I certainly didn't. I've been Jen's attended several times, but I, I didn't realize this whole other world existed, which is uh, it's the largest gathering of SaaS based uh, tech platforms. It was in the Bay Area, uh, really insightful. And we're going to reference one of the presentations that really left a, a, an indelible imprint on just kind of my thinking. A gentleman named Dave Kellogg, and we're going to talk about this in a very bizarre world. Uh, he was the chief marketing officer at a company called Business Objects years ago, and, and I spent some time there. Uh, and and he talked a lot about 15 signs uh, that that metrics are you know are a problem in the company. And we want to we want to reference. So this part of this is is inspired by that presentation. We want to reference some of those signs that Jen and I will talk about it. And it was just, it was really insightful. And we thought that would also be really useful. It's also a good reminder, uh, if you're not active in our Norform community, norgroup.com slash forum, there is a, a RevOps group in there. We'll post questions, topics, discussions, reference points, uh, you know, reports and whatnot that we, we reference on these uh, live or podcast sessions in there. So I encourage you to come join us again, norgroup.com slash forum and look for the RevOps group. That's where we'll post a lot of these things. So Jen, let me start with you. Data and data maturity, you and I've talked about 
uh, and we've got, by the way, another great partnership with a company called Versalytics and Jeff Huckabee and that whole team talks a lot about this as well. It is absolutely a spectrum. Talk about, um, you, you know, the different and classify for us kind of what, is, what are the X and Y axis of, of that spectrum? Sure. So like you said, it is a spectrum. Most everybody starts with sort of patchwork analytics or departmental analytics where everybody's taking care of their own thing. They come to meetings and every le uh, business leader has their own version of reports. And so that's that's a very basic level of sophistication. So that, that would be the X axis. And then the Y axis of the spectrum would then be the business value. Mm -hmm. When you're when you're down in that first part of the little quadrant down near the, the zero, if you will, uh, the level of sophistication is not there. Everybody has their own reports. It's very manual. There's not a lot of collaboration with those, those sort of uh, reporting structure. But then as you move to the right along the spectrum, you are getting deeper into those analytics by making them operational, making them uh, into actually interactive dashboards, being able to go a couple levels, levels deeper. Then you're getting into uh, analytics that are related to predictive or proactive type metrics. Instead of lagging indicators, you're now having leading drivers that are being reported upon and that you can actually evaluate and dig into deeper to find those patterns. And then as you get all the way to the right, there's really that contextual, it's augmented, it's AI driven, and it's that predictive model version of the analytics. So that, that's kind of the spectrum that we think. Yeah. Of. And, and if I think about, if I think about that X and Y, you're right, as you get close to the zero, you know, it's at an individual level and not really collaborative. You're not, you know, I, I appreciate it. And for our audience, Jen's been pulling us kicking and screaming from like individual spreadsheets and individual documents. So like at least let's use Google sheet or Google doc or a way to really start collaborating around some of these things and where different people give you input. And, and, and again, same thing with our systems, right? It, one of the painful lessons that, that I've learned last couple of years is you can have great systems. If you don't use them, use them on a daily basis and track that progress you should have no expectations that we're going to have the data to really understand not just what's happening, but why. And more importantly, levers to do something about it. So what I really hope you'll, you'll, this will resonate with you is don't confuse output, which is important. That report is, is I don't want to take anything away from that report, but that report is an output with outcome, right? What do we do with that? What the insights that we extract out of that report is what's really useful to the organization with impact. Impact is about value creation. Impact is the results of the decisions we make, the results of the actions we take from the insights from that report. So in this formula, and as we talk about data maturity, you actually need all three. You need output. Without that report, I'm throwing darts in the wind. That output cannot be a end-all, be-all. It needs to lead to some sort of an outcome. So I tend to think of output plus outcome plus impact. That's how you create value. And, and, and most, Jen, I love your comments on this. Most clients we meet are not data poor. They're actually data rich, but they're insight poor. They're actionable insight poor. They're... Um, 
you know that that outcome and impact is lacking kind of insights from the data that the output could create i would definitely agree most organizations have a plethora of data and they're tracking everything one of the very large challenges that we've seen in several client organizations is they choose the data the metrics that they're going to use to report upon after they've already started the campaign or when when they're actually doing that retroactive and they're just like, oh, well, we'll pull, cherry pick these, these metrics because they look good or whatever. But they, at the onset of the campaign or whatever initiative it is, they haven't decided what that outcome is and then the actual relevant metrics that would then show that the outcome was either achieved or not. And so it is just metrics for the sake of metrics which doesn't get anybody anywhere. And, and we've also tried to help automate. I'm reminded of, of uh, for our audience, we have a, we have a very term of endearment for this spreadsheet from hell, right? <laughs> yeah. We, you know, trying to automate that spreadsheet from hell for the monthly management meeting or the board meeting, quarterly board meetings, or when everything is captured manually becomes such a lift because I'm now having to go find and update all of this versus really using the processes, using the systems to generate and automate those dashboards, those reports that are critical to your success. And one other thought, just as, as people think about their data-driven culture, it's not, to your point, it's not just generating the report, but it's gaining those insights. And if you have a team that generates the reports or the dashboards, go back and ask the people who are actually doing that job. Maybe it's the content managers or the campaign managers, ask them to give their insights on what are they seeing from these metrics and recommendations for how to improve into the future. Because again, like if you just pull the report, that's great. That gives you one data point in the past, but then what is the insight? What are, what is going to be changed going into the future to do better and what levers can be pulled to actually improve some of those I, I want to reiterate that people who are closest to the data utilization, the data acquisition. Uh, I love analysts, work with some great analysts over the years. and But getting close to people who are collecting that data for your firsthand view of where is it coming from, how are they doing this, and then people who put that data to use in essence, the insights from that data becomes invaluable because you can see both ends of the value chain. Where is it coming from? How, how is it being used? And, and Jen, you guys have walked in, you and your team have walked in, and when you do a baseline assessment, you see some bizarre data behaviors or lack of, like you know, forms on websites that go into Never Never Land and they're never captured. Or uh, I think you recently, you and I were talking about you know, two disparate systems, you know, HubSpot and Salesforce or, you know, outreach and sales where, where the data is not syncing or it's just not going to, to benefit anybody. Yeah. A lot of times just lack of architecture in their tech stack of creates data silos. It creates miscommunications between systems, double tagging. Uh, a lot of times this data dirtiness comes up in attribution type conversations of where did that lead come from and not tying their actions together. So for your example, the form fill, not actually getting tagged to a campaign, creating a cohort and moving through the system, tracking all of those people together. 
then then it really doesn't help you when you're trying to go back and evaluate did this work did this not did it generate the leads that we expected it to beautiful so in this spectrum again we can you can label it one through eight if you want but this in this data maturity model we've identified eight kind of really distinct phases that's the best way i can think of them um let's you and i take i'd love to take our audience through the eight uh, and really talk about kind of what happens at each one. So initially, uh, you, you know, I think the first step you talked about it, and I uh, guilty uh, is a spreadsheet, right? I just I got to get a whole bunch of data together, and you know, we have people that do research for us and abroad and whatnot, and they fill out a spreadsheet and they kind of bring the spreadsheet. It's usable to a point, but it it, it just seems like a a, a very uh, pr primary, very very kind of initial source of data. It is. And spreadsheets also, if they're not put into sort of a collaborative or cloud-based environment, then they become static. And I could have a version of an Excel spreadsheet that I've done some data augmentation to and shared it with you. And then you go and save it to your hard drive and you've made other edits. And now we have versions of the same data or we're overwriting. And it's, it's hard to keep track of some of those static spreadsheets. And it is, it, it becomes very manual. And from a data privacy and protection perspective, spreadsheets that are sitting on people's hard drives opens up the door to PII uh, infringement and just mishandling of some of that information. And for our audience, PII. Sorry, uh, personally identifiable information. Got it. So it's your email, your contact information, depending on what industry you're in, it could be much more sensitive type data that could be in a spreadsheet. So spreadsheets, in regulated industries is something that really people should stay away from. Got it. The other thing that, that, you know, for some of us, I travel extensively and you have no visibility, no access to the hard drive that's on my laptop that's with me on the road. Exactly. And, and, and even though I back it up and I, you know, cloud, I, but it's not, it's not really a, a, in, you know, today's day and age is not really conducive to that. So if one is the spreadsheet bottom left corner, then for our audience, we're going to go stair step to the top right, so next is we talk about this idea of, okay, I've got a spreadsheet is my favorite people who print that to a PDF, right? Completely <laughs> static PDF. And now they send you at least the spreadsheet. If you share it, I can click on the cell and I can look at the formulas and I can do with the PDF. It couldn't be more, I guess as operational reporting is what comes to mind, but it's, it's just that it's another static kind of version of the same info. And I can't do as much with it. It is that uh, downloading to a PDF or grabbing just certain cells and dropping them into a, a presentation deck or any of those things, they are good and there are, they are good reports to see and visualize, but it is very static. It's not collaborative. It's not dynamic in any way. And it, again, is that point in time because that data isn't changing. Um, when you take that screenshot or when you download it or printed it, that's that's the most up-to-date information that it is. And you could have printed it a week ago. Your board meeting is in two weeks. Your data is now out of date for that meeting. So it's it works, but it's not a long-term solution. Which leads us to three, which is now I have a, a, a data warehouse of some sort. I have, a, I have a, a query mechanism of some sort where I can actually query and do analysis from that data warehouse. Yeah, and, and for those that are listening, a data warehouse doesn't actually have to be a giant data lake or an actual data warehouse. 
this querying and analysis level of sophistication can also be done within some of your tools like Salesforce or HubSpot and creating those more dynamic dashboards uh, because you can dig into it a little bit deeper. You can merge fields together, information together, things like that. But it is that ability to interact with the data, if you will. Uh, for our audience, if you just joined us, we're talking about eight levels of data maturity that we tend to see in organizations. One is I've got a spreadsheet static. Two is maybe reporting, you know, PDF or as Jen mentioned, somebody grabs the cells from the spreadsheet and puts in a presentation. Useful, but again, it's just static. Three is, is now there's a data warehouse and I can do kind of any kind of query and analysis on it. Four, now it starts to get exciting. And it tends to be more of the middle of the road, which is... I have a dashboard. I have potentially, uh, I, I don't need a PhD in astrophysics. I can go into a, uh, you know, any number of tools that we use, or I can use any kind of a BI business intelligence tool and, and kind of create my own report and dashboarding. Yeah, at this level, your data analytics team or your operations team has actually created that dashboard or sets of reports that then all interact together where you can go in and you can review them on a as needed basis. You can drill into them as you'd like. You can add additional fields if you're trying to look at the data in a different way, but it, it does create sort of that unified view of your data. And it's not everybody pulling their own version. It's that, that North star, if you will. Yeah. So now, now it starts, and, and it seems really efficient. If I can, mm -hmm. if I can kind of do my own dashboarding and reporting, and or or you know get a report set up for me, and I can, you know, we talk about the George Foreman grill, right? Click, you know, set it and forget it. If I can just click on that easy button and get my report, um, very technical term for our audience. Ah, it just just is fantastic, and I got what I need, and we're moving on. Uh, next one, and this is uh, again for our audience. We've partnered with a company called Versalytics. Uh, and, and Bridget over there is masterful at this next one, which is kind of level five is really visualization, which is look at that data. So we have a customer lifecycle journey or our amplified time to impact. And it's a process, it's sequence data along the way and really starting to now visualize this data. And much more importantly, I'm not tethered to my desk. I can use it in mobile devices, tablets. I can move with it pretty, pretty seamlessly. Yeah, so this is going to be in a cloud environment that can be interacted with wherever you happen to be. Uh, I'm sure most organizations set up an offline version. So the last time your device connected to the cloud, that's the most up-to-date information. For example, if you're a foreman on a, a sales floor or something like that, you would still have very up-to-date information, but maybe the connectivity is not 24-7. It's uh, every 15 minutes. But it allows you to interact with it anytime, anywhere, dig deeper into that data versus just those those previous pre-made reports. Love it. So, and again, I, I, I've always believed that, you know, our brains process and data shows this visuals much faster than it does text. So, and and we've recently met that the really cool people at... Uh, Story IQ and Deidre is coming to our Relationship Economic Summit and they do that. And we did a session where, you know, you, you, I don't need all that data. Just show me the, the, the pertinent ones and show me the, what is it you want me to take from my, you know, from that story. So then leads us to six, which is social and really collaboration around that data. Not when I talk about Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn, it's really multiple 
I think in, input sor sources at the collection, but also utilization of it? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And so it allows users from various levels of the organization to see the data that's relevant to them, but also either go up or down in the organization to see the, the data at a higher level. And it then helps create that cross collaboration across functions. So think of like that you're good to market function, your sales, marketing, customer success, having data and insights from maybe your product team and all of that seamlessly being merged together in a way that both teams can get very valuable insights without having to either wait on a report or wait for somebody to kind of explain what they're looking at. It's a level of data awareness that really comes with that data-driven culture being part of their day-to-day workflow. L love it. And now for our audience, we're getting into some PhD level stuff. I hope, I hope you're sitting down. So here we go. Seven is really data mining. And, and I, and you alluded to this earlier beyond understanding what happened. Uh, and again, for our audience, we do something called sentiment analysis. So if you think of an NPS score, you know, it tells you what's happening, but not really why. And what I love about data mining is it gives you more, more contextual insights into why something is happening. The other part that, that I've seen just kind of through your work is predictive. So the leading drivers you talked about, you know, can we extrapolate that this customer's at risk or that employs a potential flight risk? So talk about data mining for a second. Yeah. So like you alluded to, data mining is the descriptive. So what happened in the past, predictive, what will happen into the future, prescriptive, how can we address this or what can we do about it? And then it also allows you to take some of those uncategorized, just open text fields and pulling out the key insights from that in a way that actually shows you the patterns. Uh, that's something that a lot of people struggle, not a lot of people, a lot of organizations struggle with when they don't use drop, drop lists or check boxes or things like that, because that creates very rigid buckets. When you have open text fields, you need the data mining uh, engine to actually make sense of all of that open text quickly. So you're not reading line by line and you actually can get the very high level bullet points. Why is that Why is that unstructured data so difficult to work with, but it's still critical? It's, uh, it's so difficult to work with because a lot of queries are written without taking in variability. And so you're, you ask for it to pull up every mention of, let's just say, for example, Starbucks. We've spelled it with an S. If you don't write that query in a way that it looks for every variant of how that key term is written, capitalized, uncapitalized, S, no S, you'll only get one version of it. And so you, you have to have a data team that knows sort of what those parameters are and creates that variability uh, search to find the right sentiment. And it's, and the words that are used, maybe somebody's talking about a customer support ticket, but they don't say customer support. They mention uh, tech support instead, or just the tech and analyst or the sales engineer did X, Y, Z. In our world, we know that that's customer success because that's where the sales engineer goes, but the person who put it in the text field called it something different. And so it just creates a whole bunch of different variables that you then have to analyze. 
and our audience may or may not know I'm originally from Iran and <laughs> Persians. Persians put an E in front of Starbucks, so it's S Starbucks. I just and if if it's spelled that way, I don't know what kind of data warehouse could figure that one out. But that's just that's just if you meet a Persian, we typically pronounce Starbucks. We put an E in anytime we say S. S Starbucks is how we think of it. Well, um, for those who speak the Queens or now Kings English, we put U's in things that don't have U's in America. <laughs> and that that unstructured data causes all kinds of challenges. Uh, Utopia seems to be really stage eight. And we're now uh, barely, I think, scratching the surface of really AI and generative AI and, you know, augmented uh, reality and and embedded analytics. And now it's getting to a, a very different and, a, and almost like a very intelligent kind of level of, of data maturity. Yeah, the, the utopia is where it takes all of your lagging indicators and your leading drivers and the behaviors of people and the sentiment in their emails and communications, the content they're downloading, how they move through your website and puts it all together. And it is leveraging that machine learning. And it's also leveraging some of those large language models and the AI driven insights that can be pulled from that and really creates a, a learning, if you will, a data reporting structure. And it allows you to derive meaning and value from all of those things quickly without having to go system by system or report by report. And it really embeds all of that information into your business apps. And so think of when you sign into Salesforce or your HubSpot and right there at the very top are things that uh, your prospects did overnight or posts that were made on LinkedIn or alerts that need to happen because support tickets came in and all of those things, it actually gives you kind of a checklist that you can go through and quickly address all of that. And it, almost seems like magic or superpowers. So talking about magic and superpowers, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. You and I were exploring generative AI for, for kind of our world. And yeah. uh, this idea of machine learning that learns from data, that learns from history, can you give us a, a glimpse into how does that happen? These large language models. So I feed them data and as that data changes, it actually sees the change. And, and how does that learning happen? Well, there's a super nerdy answer and there's a, a non-nerdy answer. How about the non-nerdy non answer? Non-Portuguese version. <laughs> so how does it learn? So I'll use an example that a lot of people may already be leveraging is your chat GPT. So if you have ChatGPT on your computer and you've been asking it questions and prompts, the large language model actually will pick up on how do you structure your questions? What sort of information do you ask about on a regular basis? For example, are you doing a lot of research around marketing or sales motions, or maybe you're in the engineering space? And so it starts focusing and narrowing in on those topics and how you ask those questions. So then it knows how to respond because with chat GPT and most all AI and machine learning tools, you can give it feedback on the responses it gave you. And was this correct? Was this not correct? And as you start learning them or as you start using them initially, 
giving it that feedback, giving, giving the algorithm the feedback of, yes, this was right. No, this wasn't change this one thing. It allows it to modify its search criteria and modify the way that it gives you information back to be more helpful to you. I am convinced the developers of uh, at OpenAI that came up with ChatGPT learned that regenerate button from my kids because <laughs> my kids would ask for something. If they didn't get the answer they liked, or I don't know where they got it from, but you know, if they didn't get the answer they wanted, they would ask the same question again. And and But joking aside, it's really cool that when you head regenerate, it almost like it gives you the same meat of the of the question, but with a very different lens, very different kind of perspective, gives you different attributes or different sources that answer the same question just in a very different way. Yeah. And, and where that regenerate came from, my assumption of where it came from is a lot of developers, especially in the AI space, leverage what's called first principles. And to keep that at a very high level in a non-rabbit hole nerd fashion, it's when your kids or even when you were a kid and you kept asking why, why is it that way? Because you're trying to get to the root of what it is in its most basic form. And so first principles thinking is to take a very large project problem and boil it down to the very foundation of what it is and then think of other creative ways to solve that same problem. And maybe it is the same solution that already exists, but by boiling it down to the most base form, you can actually come up with really cool other solutions for should we, should we expect chat GPT to at some point say, because I said so? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure it'll do that. <laughs> All right, moving on to, so for our audience, again, if you joined us late or just a quick recap, uh, we've been talking about a spectrum based on business value creation and really the level of sophistication, the level of complexity of data maturity that we see in a lot of our client organizations. There's eight of them. One is a, a spreadsheet. Two, think of a static you know, PDF from the spreadsheet. Three is now I've got a data warehouse and I can do a, a query and analysis of it. Four, I got dashboards from either the packaged applications or BI business intelligence tools that allow me to do my own IT has developed a set of dashboards and reports for me. Uh, really exciting, a partnership with Versalytics around data visualization, where I can see a uh, you know, set of numbers, set of sequence of information. I can visualize that data. Uh, they've done a fabulous job on, on visualizing movement of wine shipments and the temperature of the wine or, you know, from other parts of the world to U.S. is a fantastic demo. Um, five was, was really... Uh, again, visualization mobility, six, social and collaborative, where multiple people are utilizing to capture the data, but also presenting it or using it. Seven, data mining, where you're now getting into not just descriptive of what's happening, but prescriptive as to kind of why and, and predictive as to what can we expect and really looking at unstructured data. Uh, the other unstructured data, Jenna, think about is address address written out, ADD, ADR, that just will not, unless somebody you know creates that metadata that says that's all the exact same information, never is going to go anywhere. And then really exciting field about this generative AI and learning in just large language models that are going to learn. So think of those eight, bottom left corner where zero is, top right corner, stair-step maturity does not happen in most teams or organizations overnight. 
but just really understanding where you are. And that's really, in essence, what our biz ops practice does. Focus on where you are today and really helps you think about how can we become more of a, a data-driven culture, specifically in our communication, our decision-making, our problem-solving. Yes, absolutely. So from that, you mentioned, so we've talked about maturity and sort of those levels, but you mentioned a talk that Dave Kellogg did at Sasser last week, and he talked about 15 signs that you have a metrics problem within your organization. And I'd love to just dive a little bit deeper on what those are and uh, just share with our audience what was learned. Yeah, let me let me just let me preface that with um, I, I, I love, you know, it's a couple of things I wrote in my notes that really resonated. So, uh, you know. What I love about operators is that he's not regurgitating uh, a book report. Uh, and I would highly encourage people. I think he's got a, a very robust blog. I would encourage you to, uh, you know, check him out. And again, this is this has all been inspired by Dave Kellogg. He's an entrepreneur in residence at Balderton Capital. And Sastra, which was a big SAS conference last year, this guy's got over 25 years of being a C-level executive. He sits on a bunch of boards. Uh, he looks at data. And as I said earlier, not just output, but really outcome and impact. And data as levers for decision-making. Data as levers of what is it telling us and what should we do differently. And I wrote in my notes a couple of really clever humor. Uh, you know, had an enorm enormous amount of credibility because he had done it. But he talks about numbers really don't lie. It's the stories and the build on, on our session with Deidre Downing and, and Story IQ, the previous sessions of the stories we tell sometimes do. And, and they're, they're not even lying intentionally, but they're kind of misleading or they could be abused in many ways. So in terms of the 15 signs, there are strategic go-to-market motions that are problematic, that are... Uh, really critical. So let me let me just run through. I'm, I'm gonna name them, and then Jen, I, I'd love for you to, if you want, jump in, and and let's talk about let's talk about some of these things. So so one of the first ones that he talked about was uh, bludgeoning. Right? People use numbers to beat other people over the head of what's not happening. Newsflash: people who are responsible for things that are not happening, they know it. And that beating them over the head it isn't exactly uh, creating a, a collaborative culture. We, we kind of all know we're, we're right now. Uh, it, it is. Uh, I'm not trying to pour salt or lime in any revenue leader's wound right now, but many organizations are not hitting their target numbers, and rightfully so. You know, uncertainty economy and interest rates and still inflationary pressures and you know, our, our, our highly politicized you know, environment. And so there's a lot of uncertainty. And that uncertainty creates a lot of people sitting on the fence. They're, they're having unbelievable years, right, As in terms of their revenue and their growth and they're doing some really but they're not spending money. And they're hoarding cash. And there's this wait and see at it. Let's wait till, uh, you know, our next month or let's wait till next year. Let's wait. That whole wait and see attitude is very prevalent. So you know, using data for bludgeoning isn't isn't particularly helpful. Well, you have also sat in meetings where they use it to kind of have this fencing 
contest of, oh yeah, watch this, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, a lot of times we see this in organizations that st- have sales and marketing not necessarily on the same page. Sales is, or marketing is saying that we're generating all these leads and then sales is being bludgeoned because their pipeline looks really bad. Um, and what I think people forget about in that conversation when they're bludgeoning you with numbers they're not necessarily asking the question of why, why are the numbers looking like this? They're just beating you over the head with the fact that the numbers aren't what they need them to be. Yeah. So, so bludgeoning is number one. Number two is misleading. And again, I wrote in my notes, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's intended to, if you think about why and how we use, you know, metrics, ideal if metrics are enlightening, they shed a light of not just what's happening, but why. When the metrics are used to obscure or to create um, vagueness, Jen's heard me talk to people, I'm allergic to vagueness, right? And we'll talk about that in a second. But if if they're used to mislead, if they're used to create uh, opaqueness and not transparency, uh, then it's then it's problematic. So you hear a lot of people rave about, I mean, who's in the right mind is not going to put their best foot forward, right? And, and in particular, again, I took in my notes that Dave talks about, you know, uh, somebody who uses, we're, we're 96% of plan. Well, that's great. But at that same set of numbers, you, you kind of, you don't have to peel back the onion. If you just look at different rows of that report, you see that, we're really 60% of new logo. We are, you know, 93% of expansion, 73% of new ARR, and only 60% of net new. So it's misleading because it, it highlights kind of either the overall or, or just one facet that's going to make us look good and not really get into shining light on other facets of the business. Yes. And leveraging those, those uh, metrics, like you just mentioned, you had four different ARR metrics and that 96% is kind of an average or a boiling up of all of those. It's a roll up and you didn't say that. And so while it is still mostly accurate, if you were more specific with what those metrics are, then people could have that broader picture and then have the conversation and the collaboration around, okay, well, we're down in expansion or we're up in expansion. How can we improve the other ones? What levers can be pulled to improve the other ones? With that specificity, those conversations become richer. The other thing you and I've sat in on is marketing teams and attribution. Is that an MQL or is that an SQL? Is that a PQL or a it's, it's like we're missing the point of if we're not, you know, call it whatever you want. I love Steve Hardy's, uh, you know, for our audience, you know, in a, in a previous episode, we interviewed Steve Hardy, the chief marketing officer at Profix. And I love his comment that non-marketing people do not care because you start to get in the minutia and we're not talking about, and it's a classic case of misleading. Let me tell you about our MQL and SQL. How many, right? How many leads are we really contributing to the, to the pipeline? Absolutely right. And that actually brings us to one of the other metrics or problems with metrics that Dave mentioned, and that was rat holing, where they're talking about the metric itself and what defines an MQL versus an SQL or a sales touch or a marketing touch or whatever. 
and you're talking about the metric itself, not actually the business impact of said metric um, and how to improve the business from the metric. So love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah. So, so Rad Holdings is another one. Uh, here's, here's uh, fourth in the list, which is deja vu, <laughs> which is, you know, you sit through meeting after meeting, monthly, quarterly, and you see the exact same numbers meeting after meeting. And, and particularly if there's been some time in between them and you're like, wait, I, I feel like we've been down this road and we kind of heard this a month ago and three months ago. And is it is there really nothing happening in the business to to shift that? Jen brought up, you know, you pulled up a report, a static report for your board meeting, you know, two weeks ago. And the board meeting is two weeks from now. I might as well be eternity in most businesses. Uh, and so the freshness factor, I often talk about data is like a lot like fish and maybe family visiting after three days, they go bad. Right. So, so, you know, are you, are you the deja vu problem is we're not, we don't have our finger on the pulse of the business to get as near real time as possible. Uh, comments on, on data you've seen from, uh, either the marketing team or sales team or customer success over and over on our churn. Our churn hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> using the same reports or using the same metrics over and over again, either to try and tell the story that things are just staying status quo, nothing's really going up or down, or just glossing over areas that may have issues is something that I see when people start reusing reports, either they're not choosing to invest the time to come up with a new report or B there are really big problems that they know about and they're trying to just kind of keep it under the radar, which then goes back to the misleading one. Uh, but that deja vu I've been in several meetings with marketing sales, customer success churn specifically as one metric that most organizations don't like talking about at all. Uh, everybody loves talking about net new logos, closed deals, but anything that's related to any perceived negativity, churn, closed, lost reasons, things like that, nobody wants to necessarily highlight. But that's actually where you can get some of the greatest insights. Number five, semantics. This is the comment that I made earlier. I'm allergic to vagueness. So when somebody says best case and it, oh, my, my, my favorite, and Dave uh, was chuckling. Dave talked about this as well. If the stars align, right? A lot of people like talking about, I'm like, well, I'm sorry, what does that happen like every 128 years? Like, what, how, how does, <laughs> it, it just, it, it's so when we don't talk about, um, and, and I got to, you know, a, a way to fight this was I had an old manager who did ask for low, medium, high, but we had very specific definitions for it. So if you leave, and I'll often say you want better answers, ask better questions. If you leave it, you know, the question or the reporting, if you leave room for ambiguity and vagueness, you're going to leave a lot of room for interpretation of, well, you know what, that is best case, but you know what, it's never going to happen. I, you know, so, uh, you know, semantics becomes particularly challenging where we're vague and, and we're, you know, we use, uh, you know, uh, terms that that could be mis misconstrued, misunderstood. Absolutely. And when you're defining those terms, 
very similarly to your tech stack and your processes and everything else, that it's not a set it and forget it. In time, as you grow and scale, as you add new products, as you add new teams, geos, et cetera, those terms may need to adjust a little bit or be clarified again to apply to the broader audience or a new set of terms needs to be created for that new geo because they do it in a different sales motion. But really boiling down to what does this mean and is there any other definition that this could be used for uh, is really important because we've also seen in several board meetings where people will use the same field, like in Salesforce, creating Salesforce reports, they'll use the same field for like three different metrics on several different dashboards. And it's not the right metric for anything, but that's what they've attributed it to. So then nobody really knows, okay, does that mean new ARR, expansion ARR, upsell, cross-sell, whatever, that one field is trying to capture all of it. We're going to pick up the pace because I want to make sure we get through all 15. Okay. Next one, and for our audience, again, if you just joined us or you joined us late, we're talking about 15 signs of strategic go-to-market metrics that could uncover or, or really highlight some problems. It's problematic. So one was bludgeoning, two, misleading, three, Jen brought up rat-holing, four, deja vu, we've kind of seen this, five, semantics, you know, potato, potato, best case. I'm not sure what that means. Six is recalculation. And this one is when we show up at a meeting and sales, marketing, customer success, finance, rev ops, all bring their own reports. So because I don't I don't quite trust the way you got there. So I'm going to figure out, and, and, and I've got a personal story of my son and I had a bet of who could lose most weight you know, in a, in a period of time because we were getting in shape for, for an event. And, and, and he's, the boy actually says, is that with clothes on or without, is that with tennis shoes on or without? So recalculating your own data, Jen, it highlights that, you know, you don't, you don't trust the data that's provided by other groups. Is that, is that fair? That is very fair. And, and your son was exercising a clarification of semantics. He was, he was trying to make sure it was being done right. But yeah, uh, recalculation, it's when you bring a report and other people start redoing your report or they have their own version of the same report. It, it means that there is no unified view of the data and there is no collective buy-in or trust in what we're reporting. So that's a, that's a very cultural mindset that needs to be adjusted we're, we're running through the list number seven inexplicability so the company is not performing but the numbers don't show why we're not you know we're and, and i and i love i love the analogy i use here is people and you everybody knows it that's the crazy part they're raving about the view from the deck of the titanic right we're in deep trouble and yet you know, the numbers don't show it, the, 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 the holes in the hall underneath the water level where the water's coming in several decks below is not known. It's not seen to everybody until we're in really deep trouble and not understanding why that's happening is a critical reason for for this for this going on. And that too, just real quick, uh, could be that you're measuring the wrong things or reporting on the wrong things. And so the holes that you mentioned in the bottom of the Titanic, they may not be showing up on the report or dashboard that everybody's looking at. So the report looks all pretty and shiny, 
but there's these massive gaping holes that just because that data is not being visualized, it's not being reported upon. I, uh, I love this next one, uh, dissonance. He, I forget the exact um, uh, song he used, but it's a popular song that if you look at the lyrics, it, it, it literally talks about murdering somebody and, and, and chopping them up. And it's just this happy-go-lucky tune. And it's like, whoa, 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 wait. So dissonance is about the words. And he talked about words not matching the music, but it's, you know, everything's fine. And the numbers look like, you know, they're bleeding or, or yeah, we're really struggling. And no, it, it, it actually is pretty good. And so there's this cognitive dissonance between the verbal and the visual, because what you're saying is not matching what I'm seeing. And, and that's where the data is going to be problematic. Absolutely. Next one, uh, enumeracy. So, so <laughs> <laughs> this, this, is, this one shows up where uh, it is almost assumed that a certain profile of people, they're only the data people. It's typically the finance organization, finance, you know, CFO, finance function, or gen rev ops are the only people that show up with numbers at the meeting. And I've always coached every leader, regardless of your function, you have to know your numbers. You have to know your ARR per employee. You have to know your progress since last time we met. We, 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 we coach and help implement something called First Friday for a lot of clients where I'm a big believer of balancing, performing, and learning. And let's look at the numbers from last month. Much more importantly, how do we learn from those? How do we apply them this next month? And First Friday is all about bring your numbers, bring the data, bring the insights that will really help us understand and really think through, um, you know, not just the CFO and RevOps, but every member is contributing to the numbers. Yes. And adding to this, sometimes you see organizations and leaders almost abdicate the responsibility of knowing those numbers because they have a BI person or they have the CFO and, and that's the person that that's the, the, if they report the numbers, then those are the numbers that I'll trust. If anybody else talks numbers, I don't trust it. And that too is a cultural thing that needs to be adjusted. And the data literacy is also something in those types of organizations that needs to be elevated if that's how they're approaching their metrics. Yeah. So, so that's a, that's a critical one that if you abdicate that to just to finance or just to rev ops, you, you missed, it's a missed opportunity. The next one, deja vu. <laughs> Let us know if you heard this one. I, I love that when he brought it up out of 15, you know, deja vu is repeated to, to reinforce, uh, you know, what, what we mentioned earlier, which is if you're going to meeting after meeting month after month, quarter after quarter with the exact same numbers, you don't have your finger on the pulse of what's happening. The business environment is too complex, moves too fast, too much changes for, for key metrics not to change. For key metrics, you, you, you're not, this is not a static kind of a, an organization. Every organization is a living, breathing, moving within its ecosystem. So Deja Vu was a big one that he brought up. Disconnect. Disconnect is another one that, you know, we mentioned earlier MQLs and SQLs and like, wait, are, are we adding to the pipeline or not? When the metrics are not connected to the strategy, when the metrics are not consistent with the strategy, um, you know, you, you, you leave people scratching their heads of, okay, we've got all this data. Uh, Jen has heard me talk about this 
What, so what, now what? Daniel Pink, in his latest newsletter, I was fascinated, talked about you know, a, a professor that has been using that terminology since 2017. I think I've been using it since Jesus was around. You know, what, so what, now what? What is the data telling us? Why would anybody care? How does this impact the business? How does this impact the direction, the strategy, the, the direction of where we're going? Now what? How do we course correct? How do we pivot? How do we understand what's working, what's not, and, and move away from things that are not conducive to our direction, our guiding light, kind of where we're going? Jen, disconnect? Yeah, this we see a lot when, like I mentioned earlier in this episode, when you don't have the outcome determined and the metrics that are going to help uh, show that the outcome was achieved or not. So it's it's not understanding what you're wanting to achieve and then matching the metrics to that. It's you've done something and now you're choosing metrics. So it's it's you've chosen the wrong metrics at the wrong time is where we see this. And then it also leads into our next one, which is piecemealing. You, uh, you isolate like the campaigns or just the sales funnel or just pieces of it. And then you try and make this story with very isolated data points. Yeah, and, and isolation and, and kind of misalignment also leads nicely to the next one, misbenchmarking. So, so one of the things that data is really cool at you know, it's, it's, it's incredibly valuable for us benchmarking. How are we doing? I think it's innate to human nature. How am I, you know, ever since we were kids and we ran track or we swam or how are we doing against the person next to us? How are we doing against the key with miss benchmarking is, you know, startups that compare themselves to much later stage startups or, you know, mid market companies that try to compare themselves to a large enterprise. You, you are not in the same um, real estate comps come to mind. Right. Yeah. I, I wish I lived in a mansion, but if I don't and, and trying to compare comps and, and some people need to come back down to reality in terms of the value of their perceived value of not just their companies, but their homes and cars and you know, other things. But are you comparing this? Is this comparable? Are you benchmarking it, uh, you know, versus a like entity, like team, like organization, like branch office versus versus yours? Yeah. And I think the example that he used for the misbenchmarking was like university applicants, those who took SATs, the size of high school you went to, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're just looking at those who applied, there's like a 90% acceptance rate. But then if you then boil it down even further of those who applied that took an SAT and got a score of X, that's a much smaller subset. And that's who you probably should be uh, benchmarking yourself against versus just the very broad bucket. Next one is a, is an important one, which is causality. You, you correlation and causation are two different, two distinctly different facets that regrettably a lot of people don't understand. And, and they try to make a, a really compelling case of this is happening because of this. No, 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 no. This is happening with this. And, and just a different lens of causation and correlation that is important to delineate. Last but not least is torture, which goes back to <laughs> that first point of <laughs> you know, beating people over the head, right? So so if you, there's, there's an old adage, and again, I, I love that he referenced that talked about if you torture the data long enough, it will confess to anything. And it's a quote that, that he used. And it's exactly right. You're twisting the, the data to kind of help 
convey your point, not really making a point based on the accuracy of the data. Absolutely agree. And, and I was going to say, but enough about our political party. You know, that, that, that there's no need to go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. There's no need to go there. So, uh, again, if you if you missed the session, if you joined us late, we, we rattled off 15 signs of really strategic go-to-market metric uh, metrics that, that, that really highlight a problematic scenario. And if you want the list of the 15, come to the NOR forum, norgroup.com slash forum. Uh, in the RevOps section, we'll list all these. We'll list the questions Jen and I talked about. That's the closest way to describe that is that's our version of the of the show notes where we talk about you know we we kind of put questions to to uh, to the audience as well. It's a good chance for you to jump in. Jen, any closing comments before I share kind of the next several episodes we got coming up? Well, I would just say if you're not in it, if you're in an organization that's not using a data as the, as the guiding light for what you do and how you do it, start shifting the conversation that way. Perhaps you come to meetings and nobody has reports, start showing the reports and showing what you're doing and it'll set the example for others, but also ask for feedback. So show what you're doing and then ask, we generated X number of leads, sales, what are you, you seeing? And so then you're bringing them into the conversation and allows them to contribute. And they also start buying into and trusting that data. So it is, it's not something that you can do overnight, but the leaders that start showing and being the example can help guide that data-driven conversation. That's, that's a great, great summary. Uh, for our audience, again, we, we, are, uh, we release a new episode every Tuesday at noon Eastern. Uh, really hope you're getting value from these. Uh, again, we know this. We see this in the assessments and the consulting work that we do. These are for you. And we hope you get value out of them. Um, uh, again, just a reminder, next several episodes, uh, we're going to talk about next uh, week live change management and, and really how does it fuel intelligent growth. We're going to touch up on skills gap, uh, what they need to, what, what teams need to learn, unlearn, and relearn to remain relevant. And then a good friend, Scott Edinger, has published a new book called Growth Leader. So he's going to join us. He'll be our guest. Uh, and I think you're going to want to both pick up a copy of the book, but also listen to Scott's insights from his research. Uh, he's, he's written several times for Harvard Business Review. He does a lot of uh, sales consulting. And Scott Edinger is going to be a, a great guest to have a conversation with. So I, we hope this session has been of interest and value to you. Again, we've been talking about data maturity and 15 signs of strategic go-to-market metric problems. On behalf of Jen Kors, I'm David Knorr. This is Intelligent Growth. We're live each Tuesday at noon Eastern. We'll release an episode and hope you'll join us for the next one or just search for Intelligent Growth wherever you consume podcasts. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.